Good morning, church. So good to see you. Uh, we have been praying and praying, uh, seeking the Lord, and we are just overwhelmed in the gratitude and the graciousness, graciousness of God to be able to be here. Um, we are, uh, you know, the past several months, um, God has been just so faithful, and I know that you all uh, know this pastor search committee very well, and, and they have been such an incredible blessing uh, just to my life, but to my family, and obviously representing you as a faith family. Just a couple of days ago, we loaded up a, a sweet minivan <laughs> all in there, making that nice short car ride up uh, to, uh, to Olive Branch, and just being able to meet with the staff, the leadership on Friday, and then the blessing to be with the deacons yesterday morning, and now for the opportunity to be here with you all. Uh, we are humbled, and we are so grateful, and our hearts are overflowing uh, at the opportunity to be here. Uh, so we love you. I, I share with the last uh, gathering, we may not have known your faces or maybe many of your names, but we have been praying for you and we love you, and we're thankful to be here this morning. Uh, so if you have your copy of God's Word, if you'll join me in John chapter 5, and uh, that is where we're going to be this morning, uh, in John chapter 5. And uh, as we uh, study and walk through this text, I'd love to just kind of pray in our time together. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift of a relationship with you. God, thank you for the gift to gather as the body of Christ and to worship you. Father, we thank you, Father, for the gift of your word. And I pray that our hearts are open, our hearts are receptive, and our hearts are hungry for your word. God, we love you and we praise you and we pray that you are honored in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, the, the text that we're in today, John 5, is, is one of my very, very favorites. And, and when we open this text, it is an unprecedented time. So we, we even find ourselves in, in our day, this is unprecedented. None of us have walked through a time like we're walking through right now. And the same was true of what's happening in John chapter 5. Uh, the, the, the powers of Rome are rising and they're rising in such a way that others are threatened. And a group of those that were threatened by the rise of Rome were a group of the Jewish elite, these Jewish leaders, and, and specifically the Sanhedrin. And what happened was as Rome's power is rising, they're beginning to take power that belonged to some groups and taking them from themselves. So, for example, with the Sanhedrin, they're like, hey, you can no longer carry out capital crimes. You can't do that. We do that. And so you got the Jewish leaders, they're kind of on their heels a little bit. They're threatened by the rise of Rome's power. And at the same time, uh, kind of the fever pitch of culture as Jesus Christ, his popularity is rising like none before. And so as the power of Rome is rising, the power of the Jewish elite is shrinking they're becoming more threatened, and it's in this backdrop that Jesus Christ, His popularity, is off the charts. 
And so he's, his home base was just north of Jerusalem in Galilee, Capernaum, and this was kind of home base for him. And he would go all throughout Galilee, and he would perform these incredible miracles. He would heal Peter's mother-in-law, and the Bible teaches us that the entire city gathered outside the door and that he healed. I can only imagine it was into the wee hours of the morning that Christ was pouring himself out, investing in other lives and bringing healing. We see that he healed the leper, he healed the paralyzed man, he healed the man with a deformed hand, and many more. He calmed a sea with just his word. And not only that, but as he makes his way to the other side of the Galilee, you kind of see him going back and forth across the sea, but specifically he runs across this man who lived among the tombs. He was as unclean as an unclean man could get. His life was spent in the tombs. His life was spent moaning and cutting himself. That was his life. He was possessed with a legion of demons. And in this man who nobody had hope for, like there was no hope for him. This man could not be bound in any way, but yet Christ is able to free this man and bring healing to his body, something no one else could do. Right after that, you see him and he's, walking through, and, and this lady who had a 12-year discharge, she had spent every dollar she had, every dollar she had trying to get better. The Bible says there was no doctor that could help her. There was no doctor that could help her feel better. And yet, with just a word and a touch, Christ brings healing to her body. Don't miss this. People said, nobody can help her. And that was on the way to a synagogue ruler's house, a Jewish ruler named Jairus. He was on his way to Jairus' house. His daughter had died. And the Jewish synagogue ruler knew that Jesus Christ was his only hope. And in that moment, like many of you, if you've ever been desperate, if you've ever been desperate, you really don't care what other people think. And you really don't care what other people say. And you really don't care what title you have beside your name. You will do whatever it takes to bring healing to that moment. And so he goes to the only source of hope that there was named Jesus. And Jesus brings his little girl back to life. Can you imagine what the people were like when that little girl ran out of her house and started playing with the kids outside? Only Jesus can reach into these hopeless and helpless situations and only he can bring healing and ultimate healing through forgiveness and salvation. This was This was the temperature of the room as Jesus makes his way to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And so as he is coming, the Jews have kind of, they've kind of been undercover a little bit. Not so much undercover. They've been keeping a close eye on Jesus. They're watching his every move. They're seeing what he's doing. They're they're talking amongst themselves. But up to this point, it's really kind of been under the radar. But this passage that we're in, everything is about to change because they're kind of quiet murmuring curiosity is turning into hostility. This is the moment where there is a major shift and change in the life and ministry of Jesus. And so if you're in John chapter 5, verse 1, the Bible says this, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, just heads up. No matter where you are, north, south, east, west, you're always going up to Jerusalem because it's a mountain city. And so they're all making their way. Jesus being a Jew, the king of the Jews, he followed the law perfectly. It was required of the law that you would go to Jerusalem 
and be a part of these feasts, whether it was Pentecost, Tabernacles, or the Passover. And so Jesus is here, and be mindful, Matthew 5, 17, Jesus came to fulfill the law. In other words, Jesus came because we had no hope outside of him. He came, Jesus came, because he did what you and I could never do for ourselves. He came to fulfill the law perfectly. Romans 10 says that Christ is the culmination of the law. He came to do what none of us could ever do so that He could fulfill the righteous requirement of the law which we could never do on our own. The Bible goes on to say in verse 2, it says, Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, an Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades, and in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Now, this is difficult for us, for me, honestly, to kind of get a visual picture of this. Now, just so you know, you can go to Israel, you can go to the Pool of Bethesda, and you can see where this happened. This is not a fairy tale. This is not made up. This is a historical event that took place. And so, as you're going to this place, I want you to imagine the place where you have been in a place where it has been a multitude of hopeless, helpless people. That's the picture. The word multitude carries a picture of it where there is like literally row after row after row of helpless people who can do absolutely nothing for themselves. The Bible says they're invalids, they're disabled, they're lame, they're blind, they can't walk. And yet this is the setting that this multitude is at, and they're at this pool because there was this superstition that an angel would come and would stir the waters. And whenever the waters were stirred, the first one to the pool would be healed. And so you had all of these disabled, helpless, hopeless people gathered around this pool thinking that this water could bring healing to their lives. And it is in this picture that the story moves from a multitude of people to a man. To a man. We don't know his name, but we know that for 38 years of his life, he was spent as a disabled, lame, paralyzed man. This was his life. Every day was marked by suffering. Every day was marked by misery. Every day was marked by helplessness. Every day was marked by hopelessness. Some of us get bitter and frustrated uh, at maybe some of the smallest things, even, you know, kind of all we've had our lives have had to adjust a bit, and it creates this frustration. But can you imagine how frustrated and how tired and how exhausted this brother was? 38 years. For 38 years, he had been stepped over. He had been looked over. He had been looked past. This guy is a hurdle. This guy is a burden. This guy is in my way. And this whole life, his whole life is spent just people looking past him. The Bible says in verse 6 that Jesus saw him. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time. And I would just say, be encouraged, church. It's because for some of you, you may feel like, you may, be, you may feel completely lonely. You may be completely overwhelmed. And in your mind, you're wondering if anybody knows, if anybody cares. And the Word reminds us here that Jesus sees and Jesus knows. That you would take great comfort that not only does He just see, not only does He just know, but He cares. And not only does He just see and does He know and does He care, but He actually pursues this man who can do nothing for Him. That He goes after the person. He goes after the man. 
And that Christ is so intentional with every single thing He does. Everything is so purposeful. In verse 6, when Jesus saw Him lying there and knew that He had already been there a long time, He said, do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered Him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps before me. In other words, the man looks up at Jesus And you can just almost sense the bitterness and the frustration as he looks to Jesus and he is like, can't you see? Can't you see my situation? Can't you see that I am trying to get to the pool? Because if I can just get to the pool, then everything will be better. That if I can just get to the pool, I will find healing. Can't you see Jesus? He did not know it was Jesus at the time, but can't you see, sir? Can't you see that I just need to get to the pool, and if I get to the pool, then everything else is going to be okay, and I'm going to be made whole. Day after day, this man's life was spent trying to get to a pool of water, thinking that thing would satisfy his soul, his longing, his body. But yet the stirred up water can meet no need. Can meet no need. Only Jesus Christ has the authority and the power to satisfy our greatest need. And I wonder how many in the room, we can't open up the room and have a testimony time, but if we did, I wonder how many of us, and my hunch is everybody, has chased after stirred pools, pool after pool after pool, and your thought is, as long as I can get to the pool, and as long as I can get to the stirred waters, then everything is going to be okay. Then everything's going to be better. That there is this myth, that there is a relationship, that there is a paycheck, that there is a position, that there is a job, that there are these things, that as long as you can get that, then everything else will be better. But we know that that is not the case, that only Christ Jesus has the words that can give life. In verse 8, the Bible says, Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. These are three commands. Get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. This man thought he needed a pool, but he needed Jesus. I mean, can you imagine 38 years of your life? Some of you are 38. Imagine your whole life has spent being stepped over and, 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 and looked over and misery and frustration and just longing to touch the water And then all of a sudden with the words from a man that you are completely healed and you are taking up your mat and you are walking. This is incredible. Every miracle of Jesus, every miracle of Jesus that you see, it's complete, it's total, it's instantaneous. Like in Galilee or Jerusalem, there wasn't a CVS at the corner of the road like or or Z-Packs or go to the doctor. Jesus Christ When he brings healing, he brings instant, complete healing. But again, everything is intentional. Everything is purposeful. And so this specific healing took place on a very unique day of the week. And that day is called Sabbath. It's called Sabbath. Verse 9, it says, And at once the man was healed, can you imagine? And he took up his bed and walked. And now that day was the Sabbath, and so the Jews... The leadership, the elite, said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to take up your bed. The man had 
has been laid lame for 38 years. I did the math. Over 13,800 days that this brother had been disabled. He has just been given words of healing from the Messiah, who he will learn is Jesus sooner than later in just a little bit. And this brother has taken up his mat and he's walking and it almost appears as is his first interaction is with some religious people saying, you can't do that. You can't, you can't walk. Don't you know what day it is? I know you just got healed and I know like you, you haven't been able to walk for 38 years of your life, but I'm sorry, it's the Sabbath. You, you can't carry a mat. The Sabbath, the Sabbath was a gift to God's people. It was a gift. It was not a burden. Exodus 28 through 10 says, Remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Six days you shall labor, do all your work. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. It's a blessing. It's a gift. This did not exclude acts of mercy. But yet for them, there was just they, they, needed, they needed to have people maintain their legalistic system. And so what they did is they would actually get together as leadership and they didn't think God's word was sufficient enough. And so they came up with their own rules to put on top of God's guidance and wisdom. And they began to create this man-made system that everybody needed to follow. But the only problem is you will not find that in Scripture. And so what it says is these leaders actually perverted this system into a earning grace by good works. Exodus sixteen twenty nine, for example, the Bible says the law said a man could not travel on the Sabbath. So that was not enough for them. So they're like, we gotta, we got to give them a pump. We, gotta, we need more rules. We need more help with this. So, so what they did was they gathered together and they actually created something called a Sabbath day journey. And what they determined that would be is a thousand yards. And so in other words, if you step beyond a thousand yards, then you have gone beyond a Sabbath journey and you are sinning. But what they would actually do is there was kind of asterisk with a little italicized detail and they would... They could tie a rope to the edge of their home and they could actually stretch it out down the end of the street. And so that street now becomes your household. So it's fine and it's cool if you can just go and you can go as long as the rope goes and then you can go a thousand yards beyond that. But if you go a thousand and one yards past that, it's sin. Spitting was even considered work in some ways. If a, a person could spit and if that spit, their saliva hits the ground and if it makes a little indentation, a little furrow then that would be considered plowing. And if you're plowing, you're working. And if you're working, it's sin. But if you spit on a rock, and it hits the rock, but it does nothing, that's completely okay. And so, so like even their religious system and rules had, had kind of been dwindled down to like which direction you spit, whether you work or you're, you're not honoring the, the, the rules and the expectations. And man had become enslaved by these man-made regulations but Jesus came to give freedom if you were to look ahead to the passion of Christ in his final days I love what James Boy says he says this the arrest of Jesus came at the time of Passover the most holy week and day in Israel's calendar the difficulty these men faced was that they wanted to dispose of Jesus without defiling themselves for Passover and so they held a conference to see how they could fit it all in they concluded that if it could be done it they could follow this order. First of all, that there would be a trial by night, which was, in, which was illegal, but not so illegal that they argued as failing to keep Passover. And so next, there would be an official trial by day in the evening, or excuse me, in the morning hours. 
And then there would be an approach to Pilate. Now, if you remember Sanhedrin, you cannot carry out capital crimes, so they have to go to Rome. This is why they go to Pilate. But now when you go to Pilate's house, be careful. Don't enter his quarters, because if you enter his quarters, you'll be defiled and you can't take Passover. So finally, there would be the execution. And the whole thing would be over by noontime, and everybody involved could then go and worship God. And so they marched along the little path of their own regulations, and when it was necessary, they stepped outside just enough to murder God. And then they stepped back in and went on their way. Let this horror teach us how terrible it is to have a religion of rules and ceremonies when your heart is far from the Savior. This is a danger. This is a red flag. The authority and power of Jesus, only Jesus has the authority and the power to expose self-righteousness and reveal the hidden intentions of the heart. He does this. And what had happened was these Jewish leaders, the elite, they could not even celebrate that this man who had been lame for 38 years is now walking. They could not get over the fact that he was walking on a Sabbath and therefore they missed the complete joy of celebrating life transformation before their eyes. And so the encouragement for us is that there would never be a rule, a man-made rule or regulation or ceremony that would be more important than seeing a soul come to Jesus and to celebrate that, to celebrate what Christ has done in a life, but they just couldn't get over it. And we talk about blind spots. We Again, we rented a minivan, loaded up, uh, good family bonding time, cruising up here. And, and my wife and I, we would kind of swap up a little bit along the way. And as soon as she got in, you know, she would adjust the chair. And then she'd be like, oh, blind spot there, blind spot. What's going on? What's going on here? Like blind spots all over the place. And what can happen is even, even a well-intentioned person who loves the Lord can even unintentionally have these blind spots in our lives. And what we see is we don't see that there are these things in our lives that are prohibiting us from seeing how Jesus sees. And that we are missing opportunities that Jesus has for us. But we have these blind spots. But by God's grace that we ask the Holy Spirit, when was the last time we humbled ourselves before the Lord and laid our heart open before the Lord and we said, Holy Spirit, search my heart if there is any wicked way in me, if there is any blind spot in me that I am missing, preventing me from living for your glory and for your mission, will you please show me that this is what the power of Christ can expose. And in verse 11 it says, But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, the Jews said to this man who had been healed, Who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? And now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. And afterward Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen. We live in a broken place and broken things happen. And, and there are consequences to living in a broken world. We see it everywhere. We see it all around us. But yet we also see evidently in this, in this man's life, there, were, there was evidently a past. And that this past, there were consequences to that past. And Jesus is, is exposing that, that past and just revealing to him that there is freedom in him, but that this, there is consequences to the sin. But what does this man do? Instead of chasing after Jesus, he runs back to the Jews. And my hunch is, is that 
all he knew was that he needed to satisfy Jewish rulers and not follow King Jesus. And so he runs back. In verse 15 it says, The man went away, told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And that this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. They hated Jesus because he healed a man who couldn't walk for 38 years. And Jesus says a profound statement that is a loaded statement in verse 17. Jesus answered to them, and I want you to imagine, imagine, imagine being a fly on the wall, imagine being a, an observer. You've seen all this happen, and here's Jesus speaking to the Jewish elite, and here's what he says. He says, my father is working until now, and he says, I am working. This is a loaded statement because... When Jesus Christ says this, he is saying to the Jewish elite and everybody else who would be listening, he is saying, I am God. I am God. And that God is working. And we know that God doesn't slumber. Psalm 121, he neither sleeps nor slumbers. God is at work. Acts of mercy are happening, and these guys just cannot get over the fact of who is this man who is doing this on the Sabbath and would say that he is God, and they missed it. Christ was right before them, and they missed it. And the encouragement in this text is this. The Father was working until now. Jesus says, I am working, and the good news is that God is working now. God is working now. God is working in the city. God is working in our country. God is working all over the world. And that we can take heart to know that we as believers are called into a mission that is way bigger than ourselves. And that we have the great privilege in the power of the Holy Spirit to live on mission. That His mission would become our mission. And to know God is working. He's working. And so as we look at this, we look at this and we say, so how does this text apply to my life? How, how, does, uh, how does all this, how does this impact my life? There's a lot here, but I just say a couple things uh, as we wrap up this morning. The first is that we would never get over His mercy and grace. And that we would never stop sharing His mercy and grace. You see, one of the, the, the cool truths about this passage is that Jesus is at the pool of Bethesda. The pool of Bethesda. Bethesda actually means house of mercy. And so that Christ would come to a place full of disabled, full of invalids as the Bible says, full of a place with hopeless and helpless people. That this place is a house of mercy. And that God displays His mercy to the multitudes and to this man. And that we would never get over that because there is a possibility that for many of you, maybe... And for me, for me, I accepted Christ as the Lord of my life when I was 10 years old. I can look back, I can say I've never been the same since. But I can also say that there have been seasons and times where you go through life and everything just becomes routine and normal and you go and you do and you work and go to church and you do these things. But what happens is, is this is just kind of normal and yet you're not 
spending that intentional focused time with the Lord and falling more in love with Jesus and allowing His Word to transform your heart. And what can happen is you can lose the sense of awe and wonder at the fact that Christ would love us with leprous hearts, spiritually blind, spiritually hopeless, spiritually helpless, and the fact that He loves the multitude. And not only does He love the multitude, He loves you and He loves me and He pursued us. And we can lose that and we can forget about that. We can lose all of that. Just last week, I was talking to my buddy named Hank. Now, Hank is a big, strong dude, man, but he's like a teddy bear. And, and I went up to Hank, and I've known Hank for a long time. I said, hey, Hank. I said, I said, man, I said, I've known you for years. I said, but I've never heard your testimony. I said, would you mind sharing that with me? And it was, it was immediately, he said, oh, Pastor Jared, I would love to. And his eyes just welled up. And he just began to sob. He began to sob. And he began to tell me his testimony. And here's a little bit of what he told me. He said, he said Jared, he said, he said, me and my girlfriend were living in the woods. He said, and I just got to a place where we're living in the woods and we were homeless. He said, I had had enough. He said, essentially, I am helpless and I am hopeless. Something has to change. He said, the only thing I knew to do was to walk to a church. And so he walked into a church out of the woods where he lived with his girlfriend. He walks into the church, he puts his hands in the air, and he tells them, he's like, he's like I- I'm not here to cause trouble, I don't need, he's like, I'm just looking for help. And praise God, there was a godly woman that was there who saw Hank through the eyes of Christ and didn't see this man as somebody to look beyond or somebody that is a hindrance or somebody that I don't want to be associated with, but rather stepped into the brokenness and helped get him to the next step, to the next step that ultimately led him to Christ. And Christ saved his life, changed his life, and he can't tell what Jesus has done to him without tears. He can't do it without being overwhelmed at what Christ has done for him. And so we had service, and after service, I said, Hank, man, I said, man, thank you again so much for sharing. Because here's what happens to us as believers. We get around somebody sharing their story, and it blesses us. It encourages us. It challenges us. And that's why I told Hank, I was like, man, I was like, brother, thank you so much for sharing. And, I mean, it was like I just said thank you, and he just started crying again. I mean, he just, he just couldn't get over what Jesus did for him. And so by God's grace, may we never get used to what Christ did for us. And may we never get over the fact that God in His mercy and grace pursued us. And one of the most effective ways to do that is to never stop sharing your testimony. Never stop sharing your story. Dads, I encourage you to tell your testimony to your kids. Moms, your kids, tell them to your friends, people you work with, your teachers, your co-workers. And, and just by, by, by reminding yourself of how Christ displayed His love toward you, God begins to remind us of how, just how good His grace is. And so we may, may we never stop showing grace and mercy and get over His grace. Mother, another is to live on mission. That His mission must be our mission. That we would not look past people, that we would go to people. I want you to think of how many people you pass on any given day. Whether you're buying gas, whether you're getting something at the grocery store, whether you're going to work, whether it's just people along the way, I want you to think of how many people. 
And I was just curious, I don't know if this is right, but I Googled, and so we know Google's right about everything, right? So evidently there are somewhere around 39,837 people in Olive Branch. And in my hunch is there's way more, and that, that you know, uh, there's, there's, a, there's a multitude of people, is what, is what I'm trying to say. There's a multitude of people who think there's no hope, and there's a multitude of people who think there's no help, and there's a multitude of people who need to be introduced to Jesus and that we would wake up and we would embrace this mission that he has called us to and live intentionally to share the good news with a hopeless and helpless people. That God would use us to reach the multitudes, not to look past them, but to step into their lives. Step into their lives. And then a last challenge would be that anytime we open the word of God, that there is always an opportunity to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts. And that God would call us to repent and believe. And so for the believers in the room, that there could very well be, for you and I, there are blind spots. Maybe we even know about them, but we just don't want to talk about them because we know we'll have to deal with them. But we would ask the Holy Spirit of God to reveal in our lives those blind spots, those errors of our life that are preventing us from following Jesus with our whole heart. And that we would repent of those things and turn from those things that do not give life. Matter of fact, they're life-taking and not life-giving. Only Jesus has the words that offer life. And that we would trust Christ with all of those areas of our lives. All those areas of our lives. And then I would also just say to someone who may be in this room today, may even be listening online, that there is... Has there been that time and that place where you acknowledged your sin, that you acknowledged your need for Savior, that you have repented of your sin? In other words, turn from it and turn to Christ and receive Him as the Lord of your life. Only Jesus can satisfy your deepest need. And for what it's worth, I just say this. Whoever might be chasing after a pool of stirred water, it will not satisfy. Whoever's chasing after the the stirred water thinking that thing is going to make it all better. It is not going to make it all better. It's a dead end road. And there is only peace and grace and freedom found in a relationship with Jesus. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, the world is a multitude of spiritual, blind, lame, and paralyzed people who have no hope and who have no help outside of Jesus. And Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. He's the only way. And so if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, let me encourage you that today would be the day of salvation. That today you would acknowledge your need for a Savior and turn to Christ and give your heart to Jesus. So I'm going to pray for us. And, and as I do... Um, we are going to have a time of response. And, and just as an encouragement to that, we're not going to have a, a come forward invitation. But um, if God is calling you to take a bold step for Him, whether that's to accept Him as the Lord and Savior of your life or maybe to be baptized by immersion after salvation, or you just want somebody to pray for you. I know this pastoral staff has been calling people just like crazy, just checking on people, encouraging people. Call a pastor, call the church office, but don't walk out without sharing what Christ is calling you to do or what Christ is stirring you to do. And don't walk out that door if you're without Christ. Begin your relationship with Him today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. God, thank You for this 
passage. Thank you, Father, that your love is on display. Your authority is on display. Your power is on display. That, Father, you go into those hard-to-reach places, in those difficult places, where, Father, there is a helpless and hopeless people. And that, Father, you step in and you pursue and you make a way to experience eternal healing, forgiveness, grace, mercy, and life. So, Father, as believers in the room, may we find ourselves surrendered to you. God, your Holy Spirit exposing any blind spot in our lives, never getting over your grace and mercy, and embracing that we are designed and made for a mission that is way bigger than ourselves. That we would not look past people, but we would go for people. And we only do so in the power of your Spirit and in your grace. And Father, for someone who may be to hear that right now, God, that they would acknowledge their sin, that they would acknowledge their need for you. And that even in this moment, God, they would turn from sin and from self and they would turn to you their only source of hope our only source of hope the father you came to live a life we can never live and you died on a cross a death that we all deserve and you were placed in the tomb son of god and you rose from the dead and the bible says that if you confess with your mouth that jesus is lord and believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead you will be saved. Father, I pray that if there's someone here who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that today would be the day of salvation. Father, we love you and we praise you. Father, work in our hearts, work in our midst, and may you get all the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen.